Oh, no, you're, <laughs> sorry, all some folks, I was just looking at some friends. They actually, it has to do with that praying hands emoji and the way that they discipled me and that and then our body. And as I was like looking at them, like with this heart of like, man, I'm so grateful for you guys. Just love looking at their scene. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, we'll sit down and shut up. My bad. <laughs> the transition in the start of this is always an interesting one. But all I have to say is, hey, so glad you guys are here. So grateful to be with you guys. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. I know it's daylight savings time. So for many of us, like one of the most worshipful things we could do is if we just invested in a bunch of cots, we like turned the lights down because it's kind of cold in here. We all took a power nap and then perhaps picked up our kids if we have them and then went to like an overpriced brunch. It'd just be the best day ever. <laughs> all I have to say though is, man, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Uh, I know Jonathan shared about Garrison. What we do here matters. Your faith in Christ matters. Your affection for Jesus matters. Your trust and resilience in him matters for storms will come. Do not build a house on sand. Build a house on rock. The only thing we want to be about here at the Springs is out of love, striving in the souls and lives of one another to build a house on a firm foundation. We believe that foundation is Jesus Christ. We believe walking in accordance with Christ is how you remain strong in it. But we know many folks come in here, man. You've gotten recent phone calls, just like the tragic one where Garrison, where you get on a plane and you go, and you don't know how many days. Where you sit there and you're waiting in the midst of the news from marriage, where, where you're on the edge and you're a student, you're thinking about college and your future, you have no idea who you'll be, what you'll become. You're watching the illness of a child, or, or you just view God as this broken, far-off, distant sort of creator being that you don't really love, don't really know. Or you're here, and by God's grace, it's a good day. You love Jesus, and you want to grow. Wherever you are, man, we take this serious. He takes us serious. So pray with me. Father, uh, I thank you for this gathering. I thank you for this group of people. Lord, I just thank you for the truth of your word and how you have come and you set souls free. Lord, would you do that today? Would you lead people to know you? God, would you, you lead those of us who, who know you, who love you? Would you help us to love you more? Change all of us. Guys, if you're here and you have a faith, if you would, please take 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen faith, to grow you. If y'all would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be useful and helpful and pray that even in the week and everything, I'd be marked by joy. Oh, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I can remember I've shared it here. At the start of the year, we, we started this series called You Can Change. It came out of this idea about New Year's resolutions, all this kind of stuff, how I love New Year's resolutions. It's one of those things I look forward to every year. I've already broken every single one of mine, but I'm still going to do them again next year. I'm going to double down. I'm going to keep going. Love all of that. Because what it does is it sets your heart around what are the things in my life that I want to improve, 
the idea for it, it came out of this Time Magazine article called The Science of Being Successful. Silly article title, but it was interesting because I think every single person here, you believe in Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus, you sort of believe in Jesus, and you're confused with Jesus, we all internally want to be successful. Now, now maybe we define it differently. I can remember in particular one season of my life where I really thought I knew what success looked like, I knew what I wanted. For me, it was in college, right? I was in college, this was in Georgia. I was in Atlanta. I got a degree in business. I was in business school, and at that point, I'm, I'm a junior, so I got another year to go, and I'm thinking about this. In success at that stage of life, I didn't know Jesus. It was, how much money can I get paid? How often can I travel? And how can I make sure to get a marquee job? That'd be the language that I would think about. A marquee job to where I'm set. I can remember seeing this in a buddy of mine. I was a junior. He was a senior. His name was Vicente. He's from Mexico. I can remember we walk out of class, and he got a phone call. It was his phone call. He was nervous. He picks up his phone. He gets it. Business school with me. He had been applying to jobs. He gets this phone call. All of a sudden, he just starts jumping up and down. He's celebrating. He's running. He's so excited. And I look at him and I said, what happened? What happened? What happened? He said, I got a job. And he goes to explain this job. He, he wanted to do investment banking. So he got a job working for a company. Some of you may know it called JP Morgan. Great company, right? He's 21 years old. He was going to make $100,000. He had an option for 100% bonus, which means he could make $200,000. I can remember he looked at me. I'll never forget this. We're walking down this hill. He looked at me and he said, John, I'm set. I'm set. Like his view of status, of money, of wealth, of influence, of future, of, okay, I'll get the wife because I got this. I'll get the house. I'll be in the right neighborhood. I'll get to go to both Vail and Cabo twice. I'm set. And I can remember walking down this hill, looking at him, thinking to myself, he's so right. Gosh, that is insightful, right? He really is. Now, fast forward a year, I'm applying for jobs, so I put all this time in resumes and workshop and grades and framing it up, and you get this suit, and you show up at these interviews, and you look professional, and you act like you totally know what you're talking about when you have no idea what you're talking about. You go through all these interviews, you convince them to give you a job, and I got a job offer in Dallas. Now, now it wasn't any job like my buddies, but for me, man, it was a job, and it was great, and it was more money, and, and I moved to Dallas. I had my own apartment. I'm living in downtown Dallas. I'm in uptown. It's this kind of like nice place. People drive nice cars. My first job was in this downtown high-rise. I worked on the 38th floor. There was 42 floors, literally the place. It was Fortune 200. The higher you go up in the building, the more influence you have. The bosses that I worked for worked for these marquee companies, and I'm like, this is it, man. I ride their coattails. The guy that I'm working for who hired on this project. He's the next in line for the next CE or a CFO role. And I'm like, I got this. We can do this. Success is mine. I'm going to get it coming together. Maybe I could be set. You know where being set, being successful really came in my life. And I can tell you, by the grace of God, I am successful. It happened for me at a $50 Ikea table sitting in that, that fancy apartment that was like $1,000 for 400 square feet. Ridiculous. Sitting at that Ikea table one morning, reading through my Bible, like coming and getting to know God 
for the first time in my life. And then sitting at this same $50 Ikea table, nowhere near some high-rise, nowhere near anyone saw, no one knew I was doing it. And getting to know a God in heaven who loves me. And here's what's interesting. I intentionally used the word success. Why? It's a theme all throughout your Bible. It's this theme. Right now, we're in the middle of a series called You Can Change. One of the things in the midst of change, just like our resolution, we're all looking for this perhaps more successful, rightly defined and often wrongly defined by us version of ourselves. For the longest time, I chased this through all this different means until I found, wait, where does real success, where does real prosperity come from? And biblically, those two things, they're often not what we think but they legitimately come from getting to know God. The reason I share this, guys, is today I want to talk about how do we change? And one of the ways that we change is we get to know God, but as you get to know it, do you know he promises? Prosperity, success, reward. Now, if you grew up in church, there's a bunch of us that are nervous right now that I'm going to go down this path called prosperity gospel, right, where it's this broken, false teaching that if you believe in God, you trust him, you do what he says, then what that means is you will be wealthy, you will be healthy, and everything will go your way. It is foolish and terrible and an evil teaching. Wrong. It's not what I'm talking about. But does your Bible use the word success, prosperous, reward, as you get to know God? Yeah. But what type of success am I talking about? One that's marked by a love, a joy, a peace, a patience. One that brings wisdom to where you honestly can avoid a lot of the foolishness of this wor world. Even if you don't believe in God, by just doing what God says. Why? He always wants to help you and me change. And change comes when we get to know him. Last week, if you remember, we, we started with this uh, illustration of a fire up here, and, and we set it up to where, hey, man, we all want to change. And I gave this hypothetical view, that, this kind of way that I've thought about change in my life for a long time, this kind of hypothetical understanding of where I, I think about change like when you're outside and it's cold, like bitter cold. I know in Texas, this is like one day a year, so stay with me. But like envision, like if you took a trip, it's bitter cold. Well, for many of us, what we do is when it's cold, you come and you put on a jacket or even after you put on multiple layers, you try to warm yourself up. But if you stay out in the cold, then you got to like start moving. You stand up, you start moving your legs. I attempted to do some uh, jumping jacks up here last week. And then all y'all saw that I'd quit my physical health New Year's resolution way too early, right? Okay, y'all didn't notice that. That's good, right? But I was doing that because and, and, we talked about if you want to change, you got to bring warmth to your life if you're out in the cold. But there's this reality of you can come and do all these different things, but what do you really need to do to find warmth if you're cold? Move towards warmth. Stand by the fire. And we created this, this spiritual reality to where so many times, and this is most particularly like Christians, right, or spiritual people in your background, where we equated, where what Christians come is we come and we try to do all these efforts on our own strength to, to make ourselves feel better. 
where we come and we say, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to no longer do that. I'm going to say no to this. It's no, no, no. Hear me say, there can be a place for that. There can be a place that change comes in your life when you reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. Change comes in your life when you reevaluate your temper. Change comes in your life when you reevaluate your greed, what you say no to, what you try to stop. But guys, what we talked about last week is where lasting change, glorious, eternal, from one degree of glory to another, where that change really comes from, it's not just saying no. It's saying yes. It's moving away from cold and towards warmth, away from darkness into light. It's coming and it's standing by the fire, which was this picture for getting to know God, like legitimately getting to know a God in heaven who knows your name, the number of hairs on your head, who died for you, who when you cry out to him, he hears you. Your good days, your bad days, who wants a relationship with you that's marked by warmth, like one where you come and you stand beside a fire and you get so warm where literally you feel the, the heat coming off of it. You can like start to begin to take off the jacket. Start beginning to take off the effort. Why? Because when you stand by him, when you get to know God, you can't help but radiate. You see how as we're talking about you can change. Yes, we kill sin. Yes, there's things we say no to but we absolutely say yes to other things. And the reason why I love this visual, I love this thought, is today we're gonna talk about, well, two things, but one of the primary things, how is you come and you stand by the fire and you get to know God. One of the ways that as you become more like him, as you and I become legitimately more light, less dark, more kind, less temperamental, more like Jesus, less like John, It brings success, prosperity, peacefulness, not health and wealth to where it never goes right, but to where you can in the midst of the tragedy in your family, the burial that you are planning and you never wanted to plan, the job loss that you experience, the moment of singleness that feels like it'll go on forever, the moment of longing for the child, as well as the glorious moments, the moments where you do find and reflect on a gift from God, where you do get to know him, where you do prioritize and you get away and you get to connect, where you do get the privilege of a beautiful vacation with family. It takes both those and it makes them better. Today we're going to talk about part two of how do we come and we stand by the fire. Why are we talking about it? Life's too short and we want too much change. And on the other side of it is a God in heaven who when we get to know him, he brings change. We've been working our way through Colossians chapter three. Last week, we we looked at verses 12 through 15. As we looked at 12 through 15, we talked about there's three things that you have to do, right? If you wanna come and you stand by the fire, there's three things. You put on faithfulness. That was verses 12 through 13. It was this idea of remember who you are in Christ. How who you are changes what you think. What you think, excuse me, changes how you act. You put on faithfulness. That was the language of the text. Because to put off is to get rid of old bad practices. It's like throwing off a bad piece of clothes. And to put on is new clothing, a new wardrobe. So we talked about you put on faithfulness. The next thing we talked about was you put on love. 
Love, it's not just an emotion. It's not just this feeling of overwhelming affection where you look at, look at God and you just have this continual sense of you complete me. But how many of us know love, yes, it's, it's a noun. Yes, it can be a feeling. But love is also a verb. Love is also a choice. Love is also a direction that you pursue. You put on love. And we talked about how you put on peace how peace is fueled by gratitude, how the people of Christ are meant to be marked by gratitude. And what are these efforts towards? To help us stand by the fire. Because guys, I'm telling you, you can on your own strength try to choose sobriety, be a better parent, be a different husband, uh, clean up more around the house, try harder in school. You can do all of that, right? And it, it will be helpful, but likely just for a season. You have to stand by the fire to change what? the heart. God's always after the heart. And if you hear it and like you don't believe in Jesus, here's what's true too. Some of the things that we'll even talk about, it, it can be a blessing to you today. Like whether or not you believe in God, for example, if you change the way you steward your finances according to godly principles, it will give you freedom. I guarantee it. Whether or not you believe in God, if you change the way you steward, for example, your dating, your sexual experiences, it will keep you from scars. I guarantee it. Whether or not you believe in God, if you change some of your parenting principles, your practices, and you do them according to God's word, it will bless you and it will bless your children. But here's the thing. If those things are true, what we hope you see is the God behind it all is true as well. And he's the one who wants to know you. He's the one who loves you. So turn with me. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 16 after recapping 12 through 15. Here's why I love this too. This whole time, one of the greatest ways we change is we get to know the one person in the universe who loves us more than anyone. That's the whole principle. The whole theme of trying to move from this section of the stage to that is getting to know the one person in the universe who loves you more than anyone. You know who's going to be a letdown? Your spouse, your future spouse, your parents, these are oh, me. These are meant to be shadows, reflections, images of a God in heaven who unconditionally loves you. But we fall short. How do we change? We stand by the fire. And what happens when we stand by the fire? We get to know the one who loves us more than anyone. So let's see, what are, what, what are four and five, two more ways, excuse me, of how we do that. If you have a Bible, read with me verse 16. Short, sweet, and powerful. What are things that we're putting on? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Guys, as we talk about how if you want to change, you got to stand by the fire. The next thing that we have to put on is we have to put on truth. How many of us, perhaps, if you grew up in church, and you don't have to raise your hand, right? You just oftentimes hear that the solution to so many problems is just read your Bible more. You don't have to raise it. I felt that repeatedly. I, I can remember I had a bunch of dysfunction in my life, bunch of dysfunction. I would repeatedly come home drunk, blackout, but I, I was, this was back in college, and, and I couldn't remember anything, but on the inside, I was like having this outside fun life, but on the inside, I was just dying. I didn't know where to find life. I didn't know what that looked like. 
but I knew, okay, maybe there's some view of God. I would come back from these nights out, and occasionally, not often, I would read my Bible. I can remember finding in my Bible later, because once I was actually trying to read it, I, I came across the same page, and I'd written a note out to the side, I'm drunk, ha ha. Here was the thing. I was treating, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, like this lucky rabbit's foot, like this view of, if, if you want to be fixed, if you want to get better, just read. It's like medicine, just take it. Guys, as we go to walk through this, what you need to know, there's a God in heaven who wrote the love letter to you, that what dwells in you richly, what we put on is not some medicinal checkbox, go through the motions, supposed to read my Bible, not disciplined again. No. He died for you. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he empowered the authorship of almost 40 different men to write this text to you. He wants you to know how much you love him. That's what we're after. That's what we mean by put on truth. Let's see it from the, from the passage. Paul starts this way right here. He starts by saying, hey, we are meant to let the word of Christ. It's meant to be essential in our lives. So many times I think we view the Bible, right, as like helpful or, or maybe supplemental, right? It's a nice thing. Here's what I'm telling you. It's meant to be foundational to you essential. That, that's where he says, let the word of Christ, word there, it's logos, it's, it's the truth of God. It can be both the spoken truth of how he loves you and this, the preserved word, cover to cover, inerrant, without error, truth and accuracy in history and in science as God in heaven pursued you and pursued me across the pages of eternity. We let it dwell. Dwell means to make a home. Anybody see the Matthew McConaughey movie, Failure to Launch? Terry Bradshaw's in it. Got a couple weird scenes. All right, well, you guys spend your time better in the afternoons on Saturdays than watching old reruns. It's this movie, Matthew McConaughey, he's an adult, comes back, lives in the home. And it talks about how he dwells there. He takes up residence. My son, Trip, when we brought him home from the hospital, we brought him home. He lives in our house. He's there all the time. He's a part of the family. You can't really have the family without having trip. Why? He dwells there. The next word there that describes it is, is richly. It's meant to be abundantly. What, what the author's writing, what Paul's trying to say to you and me, is so many times we have this compartmentalization of our faith where we put it in these buckets, right? Or it shows up Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30. Hopefully we can beat the lunch crowd. The word of Christ is meant to permeate every aspect of your life and every aspect of mine. Paul shows here, hey, when it, when it comes and it dwells, it, it's like it takes up residence. And then he says, you can know if this is happening in your life. There's a, it's cheesy, but here's the way I think about it, right? When the word of Christ takes up residence, when it dwells, it shows evidence. He gives three of them. This is the teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, then what? with thankfulness in your hearts, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How do you know if the word of Christ is dwelling in you? It shows up in training. The word I put is training. Like it's informing your soul. 
Who do you first teach and admonish? To teach is to proclaim a truth to, right? It's to say, no, this is true. Remember before we were singing, um, you'll never let me go. That's proclaiming of a truth. Where would that truth come from? The promises of Jesus all throughout your Bible, the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit, how he's always present, always gifting. It's teaching a truth. What's admonishing? Admonishing is where you teach truth, but you do so in a way that says, hey, hey, turn back. Hey, hey, go this way instead. There's this sense of challenge. There's this sense of of warning to it. Who do we first teach and admonish? Us. Who's the number one person that preaches in your life? You. You know what really matters? If you're a good preacher or not. How do you become a good preacher? You let the word of Christ dwell. It's got to make up a home. And then that's what you teach. That's what you admonish. Not only you, but then others. You know part of the reason Christians are so weird? Part of the reason Christians can be so dysfunctional? Part of the reason Christians can be, especially from the outside in, like blatantly hypocritical. Like, hey, we're totally going to focus on this and neglect all that. You know why? Because people like us don't take this to heart. We don't come and put on truth in a way that engages our soul, changes our life. And we don't come and put on truth to where when our friends are talking about how they date, we lean in. To where when our friends are talking about how they steward their money, we lean in. How our friends are talking about, right, what what it looks like to engage publicly in a national election that's tremendously polarizing. Guess what the word of God wants to do? Teach, admonish, point in wisdom. You know what happens when I do this in my life? I change. The next one it talks about, I, I summarize it as worship. Right after training, I summarize it as worship, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Right here, what's happening? When, when the word of Christ dwells in me, like actually it has this ability to overflow. Anyone here ever uh, enjoyed the privilege of a chocolate fountain? Okay, there's like two of us. It's definitely Daylight Savings Day, right? If not, we don't have it in the budget. I'm going to put one in the budget. And we're going to put one out here, and the first 20 people, there'll be enough because I will have eaten so much of the chocolate. Here's the premise. You throw a bunch of delicious chocolate in the bottom. It, over time, melts it. That's, that's your base, From there, there's a pump that sends this now liquid chocolate up to the top. And then typically, if it's a good one, there's these cascading levels where delicious, not milk, or excuse me, always milk, never dark, because dark's just a cop-out and it's nowhere near as sweet, right? Milk chocolate is cascading down, right? If you want to go white chocolate, that's great. Do it like once a year, but regular milk chocolate, cascading down. It's this beautiful thing, because then they come and they put things out there like fruit, Fruit is not a dessert. It's not. I don't care who you are. Fruit smothered in chocolate, that's a dessert, right? And they set out all these different things. It can be marshmallows, graham crackers. Like, you could probably put broccoli under there. It doesn't even matter. You smother it in chocolate, it makes everything better. What happens when the word of Christ dwells in you? It overflows in worship. Psalms are these poetic hymns in your Bible. A hymn, it's just this praise to God. Spiritual songs, that's this idea that over time, 
what, what used to just be a secular song, like not God, right? Doesn't mean it's not good though. All of a sudden becomes spiritual. When it dwells in you and you worship and it overflows, you know what happens? You grow in integrity. There is no spiritual and secular divide. There's who you are in Christ. We let it dwell. The next thing we see that here, it's gratitude. This has shown up repeatedly with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We've talked about gratitude last week. We're going to talk about it again. Here's the part that I really want to pull out of this. When the word dwells, you're made grateful, right? Where does that gratitude show up? Thankfulness in your hearts toward God. So many times in my relationship and my faithfulness and my desire to change, I feel distant. I feel cold. I feel far away from God. The problem is never on God's end. It's always on mine. God wants to come in and do heart surgery in me. As I dwell in the word, as I legitimately come before him and I say, will you help me get to know you? You know what happens? It changes my heart towards God. We don't come to check the box. We come to plead with a God in heaven and say, no man, if, if you're real, and he's real. If you're real, show up. If you're real, help me with my marriage, show up. Hey, if you're real, help me with my finances, show up. If you're real, help me understand why everything seems to be going great for me. Like when I look around and I look at all the other families and I look at their kids, their status, their jobs, their wealth, their cars, I'm doing really well. Yet I'm not content. And it never seems enough. Yet it feels like chasing after wind. I need you to show up and tell me that. Guys, I want to talk about, really practically, I want to talk about how you do that. I want to talk about how we do that. To where th- This is almost one of those where I'm going to invite you into what, what a, a week in my life is like. Better said, honestly, it's probably a morning. If you want to fight to let the word of Christ dwell in you, Here's how you do this. I've got four words. I'm going to walk them through. Pray, study, and they'll be up here. Reflect and apply. Pray. So here's, here's my typical morning, right? My alarm goes off earlier than what I want it to be. I'm no hero, right? But for me, it's six. Why is it at six? Because my daughter, Lily, is going to wake up at 7.15. Like she has this clock. It tells her when to come out. I have until 7.15. I typically don't actually get up at six. I kind of snooze a little bit, Right? And then I get up, I will have had coffee waiting for me. Why do I need the coffee? It's like hope, okay? It is incentive and hope. I wake up, I've made that before. I grab coffee, I walk out. I literally have a desk in my garage. Why is it in my garage? Because there's too much noise in my house and it makes me anxious when I hear trip cry or something like that because Tara's got that covered. I go to my garage and right there, I open my Bible I pick typically a book of the Bible. Right now I'm working through 1 Samuel. I generally read one chapter a day. Why do I read one chapter? Because reading two or three or four sounds overwhelming, right? Why reading one and not a half? I don't know, just sometimes it works out one. If I read less, great, right? But I come and then I sit there and the first thing starts. I pray. Here's what most often that prayer is. Help me to want to be here. Help me to connect with you. You can add great language to it too, like open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. I would encourage you to do that. That's a pro move. We'll start small. 
right? Ask God for help. Next thing, what do you do? I'm using the word study. Why? I've been here before and I've said, hey man, if you can just get five minutes, just read, that's great. 10 minutes, start small. I think that's wonderful. I do. But I really, especially when you want it to dwell in you, you want to study. I don't think we like the word study because it feels academic. It feels like we check the box. No, I mean study because it's, no, I am here to understand, to learn, to fall in love, and to know and apply the word of God. I'm here for a purpose. I'm not going to waste it. That's what I mean by study. If you want to do that, guys, I personally think you're going to have to set a little more time aside. What is that time? You got total freedom. I then open it. Here's what I do. I read my chapter. This is real practical. I have a pencil. I have no problem writing in my Bible. None at all. Some people do. You likely have OCD, right? Get a journal. You can write in that. And I highlight parts that just stood out to me as I go. I write questions in the side. How could this be true? What does this mean? Will you make this true of me? Literally as I'm going, I've probably been here five to 10 minutes now. I'm a really slow reader. And then I stop and I get to that, right? And at that point, that's where I'll then go and I'll reference a commentary. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. I brought these, real practical. I use three resources, at least three, every single day. If you don't know what Bible to go get, this is an ESV study Bible. Why is it a study Bible? It has notes. Why do notes help? When I'm confused, typically there's a smarter person than me that wrote down a very reasonable answer in the bottom about the questions that I have. And I reference that. What's the perfect Bible translation for you? The one you will read. Which one do I recommend? If you want to study, I'd go ESV. But some people make it like this Herculean, all that, hey, just just read, man. Consistency trumps the best plan every day. I do this. This is a second book that I reference every single day. It's talk through the Bible. Here's what it does. One of the reasons so many times we don't connect with what's going on in our Bible is we don't understand what's taking place at the 30,000-foot view. First Samuel, so you know, it's the establishment of the monarchy. They've just come out of Judges, which is this time period of failure. And the people, they don't want God, so they're appealing for a king. And God's saying, no, I'm your right leader. We can try kings, but it's not going to work. And they go to the appoint kings. I know what's happening in the 30,000-foot view. This gives a 30,000-foot view. The next one, and I have it on my um, iPad. I reference a really summarized a really simple commentary when I have questions or if there's something I want to understand. I personally choose to use John MacArthur Commentary Bible. It's got a blue cover. I think in paperback it's like this thick. You don't have to pick his. You can read a different one. I don't agree with everything he says, but man, it's helpful. Why am I telling you this? You study it. You get to know God. There's an absolute aspect of loving God by fighting to learn. You get that? You let it dwell. And I read through this. I'll literally go through the section and I'll write notes out on the side. And then what do I do? Either on paper or or for me, I write it literally in the Bible. I outline it. I'll try to summarize, and I know you guys can't see. I'll try to summarize this chapter. Okay, if I could say it in one sentence, what would it be? And then what were the key themes? What were the key themes? Why? It's forcing me to understand it, which takes me from pray, study, to the next, reflect. 
This is where having done the hard work, what others might call observation, you switch into interpretation. You reflect. You think through, what does this mean for me? How do I apply this to my life? Like if we'd read Colossians 3 and you'd read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you could come and you could read this, you could outline it. Okay, well, this is applying Bible, a whole thing here. He's saying here's how to change. Here's how to develop your faith. What does it mean to dwell? Maybe that's what stood out to you. And you write, okay, God, what does that mean for me? Because what comes after that? Apply. How do you apply this to your life? Here's what's great as you talk through that. There's nothing like, no, no amazing story, no like hurrah, no like magical illustration. It is letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly that brings change. I was sitting at a table uh, with my wife and daughter yesterday. We're trying to like disciple the family. She asked my daughter, hey, Lily, what did you learn about God today? Lily didn't read anything. She can't read anything. She's three. We're just trying to instill in her, you can see a worship of God and understanding of him in everything. Lily is not a believer in Jesus. We're praying she becomes one, right? But we're discipling her in that. Taylor turns and asks me, John, man, what'd you learn about God? Parents use that question every day. Here's what, I had read 1 Samuel 4. I'd gotten up early. She sat there and I was like, huh, what did I learn? Took me a while, guys. Took me a while. I could tell you what I learned the day before, though. Did I do anything different on Saturday morning than I did on Friday morning in terms of how I approach, my prayer, my study, my outline, my writing notes, my asking, how's this apply to me? Nope. One stood out more than the other. The reason I share that story with you is that's okay. Reading your Bible is not chasing an emotional high. Reading your Bible is building a mature relationship with God the Father, illuminated by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Getting to know God, letting it dwell in you richly. If you do this seriously, like if you do this, you will stand by the fire. You will change. Why? You'll get to know God. Apart from the gift of faith in the indwelling Holy Spirit in my life, there is not a single thing more impactful for me or for you than learning to love, know, and apply my Bible. Y'all track with that? If you want to change, there's no way of lasting change apart from his word. Let's say you don't like reading. My recommendation they have an app. Play the audio of it while you read. I think every person can learn to love their Bible. I think how we go about it, gets di- it looks differently. That's why I share with you today, this is what works for me. So many of us, though, I offer it as a option because you don't have any option. Try it. Change it. Tweak it. Keep other stuff. Change it. Send me, no, this is what you should have told us. Great. But what's not optional? That we stand by the fire. What's not optional that we put on truth? You can change. And he wants it to show up in everything. Let's read verse 17. Verse 17. Here's where we see a crescendo. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father 
through him. I love this, guys. This passage is its ending. He's saying, hey, whatever you do, it doesn't matter, word or deed, do everything in what? In the name of the Lord Jesus The fifth thing is last week we talked about you put on faithfulness, you put on love, you put on peace. As we just saw, you put on truth. The fifth thing that you and I are meant to put on is the name. You put on the name. Let let me explain that to you, though. A name, especially in this time, but it still can today, a name means something. Like a name represents something. Like in your Old Testament and your New, when people had these encounters with God, he'd change their name. Why? It was symbolic. Sons were referenced by the son of, and they named the father. There's this genealogy. Why? The name carried. It showed authenticity. It showed authority. It showed what you represent. If you want to change, you have to ask God to change every part of you, not just certain stuff. That's why he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. That's this call to consistency. Um, at the end of every service, we, we typically say, hey, go and have a great week of worship. Why do we say that? Worship as a follower of Christ doesn't stop when we sing a song. Worship starts. This is a launching off point. Sunday is meant to be the beginning of the week. It's where you set your heart and your tone, and then you're sent into a week of faithfulness. Real worship, real love, in whatever you do. I was copied on a great email this past week of a gal who engaged. She's a member here, and she went to another member, their dental practice. And she'd sent them this email celebrating the excellence that she saw just all throughout. And she said, thank you for being an example of Jesus Christ. In, In summary, by the way that you work, does your work reflect it in everything you do? Your finances, do they reflect it, right? Your sexual decisions, do they reflect it? The pursuit of your spouse, does that reflect it, right? Does the time that you choose to go to bed so you can wake up and stand a shot at getting to know God reflect it? Whatever you do, does your Netflix, your Netflix continue watching section No one else watches Netflix. Great day, right? Does it reflect it? Do your movie choices reflect it? Do your song choices? Because what he's advocating is when it dwells in you, it's all of you. Standing by the fire brings warmth to everything. Your parenting decisions, do they reflect it? He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. Why? It's in the name. And again, what do we do? It's with gratitude with thanks to God through Christ. It's realizing, guys, the only way that you and I don't remain in the cold, don't stay out in the cold, is because God in heaven died on our behalf. Like, in order to establish all of this, you have to believe a basic truth. He loves you. But you and I, man, we're foolish. We're sinners, We choose to go our own way. We we look at God intentionally and unintentionally, consciously and subconsciously. We say, I don't need you. I don't want you. And he still looks at us and says, I want you. I don't need you, but I want you. And instead of making you be a better version, instead of you saying, change, 
change, become holy, fix, get it together, stand up, pull on spiritual bootstraps and get your life together. He says, I love you as you are. I paid the penalty for all your foolishness, for your inability to stand by the fire. I paid the penalty for the fact you've been uh, hearing the call to get to know God for decades and you've neglected it. He paid for it. He loves you. And all you have to do is believe. Believe he died. Believe he rose. He did it for you. Gratitude, it comes through Christ. It's the privilege of that gift towards God. We represent the name. You know, Christian, it's used three times in the New Testament. It literally means Christian. It's little Christ. My, uh, uh, when I was born, my parents, they didn't check the gender before, right? They just had this intuitive thought I was going to be a girl. I came out, wasn't a girl. My mom's hormonal. Obviously, she just delivered. She's in this moment. She says, Greg, that's the name of my dad. Greg, we'll name him after you. It's this beautiful thing, right? I've heard the story my whole life. So my name, my legal name, Gregory John Omquist Jr., right? Dad is senior. I, uh, for, for some foolish reasons, some serious reasons, but mostly not serious. From about the ages of 16 to about 20, I had multiple opportunities to hear John Omquist against the state of Georgia, right, as I went to court, right? I grew up in Georgia, mostly speeding tickets, all this kind of stuff. Here's the thing. My dad went with me every, well, maybe, actually, he missed a couple uh, traffic, traffic tickets, right? But pretty much every single time, my dad went with me. Why did my dad go with me? One, my dad loves me. My dad's awesome, right? He's there to support me. Did he ever bail me out? Nope. But was he there to help me? Yes, he went with me. Two, my dad wanted to make absolutely sure the judge, right, that after I ever pled guilty or not guilty or the NOLO thing or whatever that is I still don't understand, right? Every single time, he wanted to make sure that it was Gregory John Omquist Jr., Y'all tracking with me? Because he knew, well, hey, I love my son. My son can be an idiot, right? Hey, if he gets in trouble, it's not me. You go knock on his door, not my door. He wanted to make sure. Why? I represent the name of my father. Did my dad come and do that in like a weird way of like, you're an omquist. What can you do? Get it together. Nope. Not what I'm saying. I represented my Father, my choices impacted. Guys, many folks, as we talk about, if you want to stand by the fire, they will never read the Bible. Like many of us here, no matter how, how winsome, how much we plead, the thought of even connecting with God, it's a supernatural thing. God brings change in our life. He does all of this. Many folks won't read it, but they will read you. They will read your life and say, is your marriage different? Is the way you hang out different? Is the way you parent different? Is the way you disciple your kids different? Is the way you pursue excellence in the workplace different? Is the way that you fight against sin, is it different? You put on the name because he wants all of us, not part. Guys, we've been journeying through You Can Change. The series 
where God, he's just pleading with you and he's pleading with me, get to know me and you will become like me. That's the simple premise of the whole thing, guys. Get to know me and you'll become like me. How do we get to know him? We put on faithfulness. We, we remind ourselves of who we are, how it changes what we think, changes what we do. We, we put on love, not just this feeling of I'm supposed to wake up on a Monday morning, tomorrow morning when I'm tired and, and it's still daylight savings time. I'm not supposed, God's not saying fake it where I just bound out of bed, can't wait, run towards the garage, turn on the light, open my Bible. It's everything I've been looking forward to. But we put on love. And here's what happens over time. This absolutely becomes the thing you look most forward to. You put on peace. You're marked by gratitude. You choose gratitude. That was the biggest challenge in my life over the past week. Harder week, I'm sure hard week for some of y'all. And in the midst of every single moment, trying to fight, to, to cognitively say, thank you. And what do we talk about today? We put on truth. Let the word of Christ dwell. We get to know a God in heaven who loves us. And then finally, we put on the name. How you are an ambassador. How he has sent you into the world appealing on behalf of him. I implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled, be saved. We put on the name. What happens as we do this? You walk away from the cold and you come and you stand by the fire. So what's the anthem? What's the prayer? This world, and I've been running with city leaders this past week, this city is in desperate need. I'm not talking about just of another church that shows up on a Sunday. I'm talking about God's church. This city is in desperate need of a people empowered by God, by faith and faith alone, who really fight to stand by the fire, who come and combat darkness, who bring light to it in their lives first and the lives of others around them second, who come and say, on behalf of Christ, we will build his church, his body, and they go all in. Why? It's cold. It's dark, not just in our lives at times, but in the lives of those around us. So what do we do? We fight to stand by the fire. We ask God to grow the fire within us. We're gonna sing one song about that and then we're gonna get out of here. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you do in my life, in the lives of others. Lord, I thank you that you call us to stand by the fire. You call us to draw near to the flame and it's one, it doesn't burn us, it always leaves us better. It brings warmth in the midst of darkness, cold, light in the midst of despair, hope when other people say there's no hope for that. I don't know why you would sing. I don't know why you would pray. When we stand by the fire, it leads us to engage with the parts of our city that we want to avoid, to serve the least of these. Why? We were the least of these. So Father, we're asking for your help to come and draw us near, to bring us. Your word says that we will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge our heart. So God, enlarge our heart. Your word says that we are called to say, no, resist the devil, he will flee from you, but God, help us draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. Help us to know that we attach ourselves to the vine, that we abide. Make us a people 
who really, sincerely, deeply, authentically love you. And from the love, we fight to live. We be zealous, marked by good works, good deeds. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We teach one another, and we stand by the fire. So set that in us, God. Set a fire. Stand and sing with us. Sing the snowflakes. Snowflakes, I'd rather be. Snowflakes, I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. Snowflakes, I'd rather be. Snowflakes, I'd rather be. No place I would rather be here in your love, here in your set a fire, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. Control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. We want so much more of you. There's no place. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather. Set a fire 
soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. If you want to sing, there's no place I would rather be like with real integrity, with a part where if you're like me, you come and you sing songs, and I think, do I really mean this? If you want to sing, there's no place I'd rather be. You have to get to know the one that you stand beside. If you want to sing, like set a fire, you have to have the fire kindled by faith. And you got to want more of the warmth. No one here has it all together. No one here is close enough, warm enough, light enough. We all have room to go. And what awaits? Love. A more loving me, a more loving you. Why? I will get to know the love of God. Life's too short to not know the one who died for me. We stand by fire. So it's with that church. Go. Y'all have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday. If you got questions, come down front.